Good evening and praise the Lord. It's a joy to see you, to join you, to worship with you, and to celebrate the Easter carols together. Let us pray as we are seated. Almighty God, thank you so much for this time. We ask that you open our hearts for your word. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you open your word for each of our hearts. And speak, Lord, to build us, to bless us, that we may be able to serve the purposes for which you have created each one of us. As I speak, I ask that, Lord, you give me a sense of clarity to express and proclaim your word. Silence every voice from within and without that might distract us. So come, speak. Through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Just in case you have not been able to catch my name, just in case, I'm the Bishop of Lango, Bishop Alfred Olua. We're here until Friday. Every day, coming to speak and to be able to be blessed by the Lord. Thank you. On Sunday, we looked at Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem, in which he entered in the city, he looked at things in the temple, and he retired to Bethany with his disciples. The following day on Monday, he came back again into the city to the temple. Then he went back to Bethany. Yesterday, he did the same. Each day, he is teaching in the temple. Today is Wednesday of his last week before he goes to Calvary to bring universal salvation. So the activities on Wednesday, if we may take a recollection of what happened, Wednesday went a little quiet. Actually, too quietly. It didn't have much of the drama that was there on Monday, on Tuesday. So Sunday's triumphal entry, Monday's temple cleansing, and Tuesday's escalating conflict, all that drama today was a little quiet. Now, Wednesday, April the 1st, AD 33, comes like the calm before the storm. But out of sight, Lacking in the shadows 
evil is afoot. The church has for a long time called this Wednesday or referred to this Wednesday as Spy Wednesday. As the dark conspiracy against Jesus races forward, not just from enemies outside, but now with a traitor from within. His name is Judas Iscariot. It is this day when the key pieces come together in the plot for the greatest sin in all of history, namely the murder of the Son of God. Jesus just wakes up again outside Jerusalem in Bethany where he has been staying at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Those are sweet names from the Bible. Those who read the Bible, you know. Those were his friends. His teaching again in the temple attracts a crowd. But now, the Jewish leaders, silenced by Jesus the day before, will leave him to be. Today, they will avoid public confrontation and instead connive in private. And Cephas, the high priest, he gathers to his private residence, which is within the city, not too far away from the temple. He gathers the chief priests and the Pharisees Two competing groups, typically at odds, but now they are bedfellows in their desire to kill Jesus. They scheme to kill him, but don't have all the pieces in place yet. They fear they are proving masses and don't want to stir up the assembled multitudes during the Passover. The initial plan is to wait till after the feast unless some unforeseen opportunity emerges. Enter the traitor. Well, the gospel accounts point to the same precipitating event. That is the anointing at Bethany. Jesus was approached by a woman. We learn from John chapter 12, verse 3 that this woman was Mary, the sister of Martha. Mary took very expensive ointment and anointed Jesus. As I was reading this, then I remember the weakness in my house. You know, in our house, I am in the minority. I am with my son, the rest are ladies. So we are in the minority. And I remember every time before COVID, I passed through Dubai. They are always texting, get the latest perfume. <laughs> Daddy, latest perfume. So I always had this problem. I think some of you do too. I have to buy for the two girls, but I must make sure the one I buy for their mother, my sweetheart, is really the best. But whenever I arrive, they always had this little, I don't know, competition. 
they will each take theirs and say, thank you, daddy, thank you. But quietly, they go to now challenge their mother. Let's see yours. Let's see yours. <laughs> and that's just a by the way. That's not the point. But really, I always tried to get um, the best. And it's always expensive. But it is because of love that costs you that you go that far. So here was Mary because of love. She bought a very expensive ointment and she anointed Jesus. You clap for Mary, even if she's not alive here. You know, this is wonderful. This is the way to go. <laughs> and the objection comes from the disciples. John chapter 12 verse 4 says, it was Judas. So he asked the question, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Just imagine this Judas was with Jesus. He has always been with him. He's the treasurer. He is very close. And I don't want you to lose this point. There is always a Judas, as it were, in every community. But except we don't know who that is. God forbid it's not me or not you. But there is always a Judas. <laughs> so this was, after all, a very large sum. More than a year's wage for a soldier or a common laborer at the time. It would have been enough money to finance a family for more than a year and could have gone a long way for charity. So it was not little money. Recently, I visited my friend, Bishop Nathan Imbisibwe. Some of you know him. And uh, I was with him because we are long-term friends. We talk. And so he was telling me, I think humbly boasting about his Christians who love him and they give him money. Not in a bad sense. They just say, Bishop, you bless us. We want to bless you. You baptize our children. You bury us. You pray for us. Then I said, eh? You want to hear my story from Lango? <laughs> and he knows, he knows that when it comes to that, uh -uh, we can't match them. But I told him also, I have some very lovely Lango Christians, but I won't tell you what they do. But he said, anyway, before you tell me, one of my Christians took me to his office somewhere in Kampala, pulled the drawer. He, he, this is how he would talk. Huh? Pulled out money, 50,000, 50,000, and he gave me money. He said, Bishop, I bless you with this money. Go and build your house. And then Bishop said, my friend, I have never seen somebody with money and money is not painful in his life, giving it away. <laughs> People have money. But you know, here is this person giving something so expensive, not even thinking, ah, I should think twice again. That sort of generosity. But Jesus doesn't share Judas' miseness. Here, he finds extravagance in its rightful place. I, I know there are people who really argue 
He says, other people are so extravagant. This is reckless with being resources, eh? even food. And ah, There are people in that extreme. But for the time being, you hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's see the one of Jesus and Mary. So the kingdom that Jesus brings resists mere utilitarian economics. He sees Mary's extravagance as a worshipping impulse that goes beyond the rational, calculated, efficient use of time and money. For Mary, we find that in these scriptures, Jesus is worth more than every shekel. Jesus is worth more than every shekel. The anointed himself says what she has done in verse 10 of Matthew chapter 26 is a beautiful thing. Jesus approves of it. But Judas, on the other hand, is not so convinced. And contrary to appearances, the miser's protest betrays a heart of greed. Jesus' concern comes not because he cared about the poor, but because Judas was a thief and having charge of the money bag he used to help himself to what was put in it, John 12, 6. That concern of Judas was just because precisely of what St. John writes for us. Not about the poor, but because, to be honest, he was a thief. I don't know what does thieves look like? Because when you look at your friends near you, sitting there, or you look at me, none of us look like thieves. <laughs> and yet, the fact of life is thieves are human beings like us. <laughs> anyway, I'm not here to make anybody guilty. But I just really want to underpin the fact here. Satan finds a foothold in this heart of Judas with his love for money. And what wickedness follows from there? Well, angry about this waste of a year's wage, Judas goes to the chief priests and becomes just the window of opportunity for the conspirators to do their work. So like I said, today, the spy work will lead them to find Jesus soon. Since the spy, Judas, is giving them the opportunity at an opportune time when crowds have dispersed. And the greedy miser will do it for only 30 pieces of silver which in the Old Testament we read in Exodus 21 verse 32 establishes that 30 pieces of silver was merely the price 
of the life of a slave. The guy needed money. He's desperate. But let us engage a little more on this Wednesday. Why the insult of betrayal? Surely God is there. He is looking at these events. He is understanding every bit of it. Our Lord Jesus being betrayed? Why? Why? Well, why would God have it go down like this? If Jesus truly is being delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, this we find in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. And his enemies are doing just as God's hand and plan had predestined to take place. Acts chapter 4, verse 28. Why design it like this? With one of his own disciples betraying him? Why add the insult of betrayal to the injury of the cross? We find a clue when Jesus quotes Psalm 41 verse 9 in forecasting Judah's defection. This is what we read. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And King David knew the pain not just of being conspired against by his enemies, but betrayed by his friend. Even as I speak here, there are people who have been badly betrayed. Of course, there's no good betrayal. They have seriously been betrayed by friends, at workplace, at home, in marriage, in the clan, in the community. And you can, you can really align with what is going on here. Betrayal from a friend. So now, as Jesus' hour comes, this burden, he must bear it alone. Our Redeemer, our Savior, must bear this burden alone. And it will end at Calvary on the cross. The definitive work will be no team effort. The anointed must go forward unaccompanied as even his friends betray him, they deny him, and they even disperse. Now, here I think of what the Scottish theologian, Donald MacLeod, he wrote a book. The book is titled The Person of Christ. In that book on page 173, Donald observes this. Had the redemption of the world depended on the diligence of the disciples or even their staying awake, it would never have been accomplished. And I want to agree with him. But let me draw your attention again back to the 30 pieces of silver. Because there is something I want us to see that relates to our life and the story of our Lord Jesus Christ on this third day on his way to the cross. And so Judas offered the chief priests the solution they had been waiting for. He would betray his master. 
but not without something in return. Mark the evangelist simply records that the chief priest promised to give Judas money. Mark chapter 14 verse 11. They promised to give him money. The word promise suggests that Judas wasn't surprised by the offer. It appears that he had pressed the priest for payment. And Matthew tells us as much. In fact, this is what Matthew says. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. Mark 26 verses 14 and 15. So friends, the drama in the unfolding story of Mark 14 revolves around two characters, the woman, Mary, and Judas, the one going to betray Jesus, and their opposing reactions to Jesus. But there is a third character, an antagonist, both sinister and stealthy. This is money. Notice how quickly Judas and his fellow gamblers are able to appraise the value of the ointment at Simon's house. They could quickly sense at a glance how much something was worth. The nerd had barely left the flask before they were calculating. This ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii. Mark 14, verse 5. As Jesus lifts loud cries and tears, we find this in Hebrews 5, 7, in the garden, the heartbreak of David is added to his near emotional breakdown. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Psalm 41, verse 9. He is forsaken by his closest earthly associates, one of them even becoming a spy against him. But even this is not the bottom of his anguish. The depth comes in the cry of negligence. In Matthew 27, 46, Jesus cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But more remarkable than this depth of forsakenness is the height of love he will show. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends, even when they forsake him. Friends, this is the story that helps us to trace on Wednesday the betrayal of Jesus. And there are many lessons we can learn from today as we move forward with the Lord. And particularly as we move towards Calvary, where our salvation, our forgiveness will come from by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. But for this evening, I have purpose to share only two. First, 
Heartfelt generosity honors God. Mark chapter 14 verses 1 to 9 really shows this. Spy Wednesday is a day full of hope. Hope because it shows us that the beauty of Jesus can break the spell of financial gain. This is the woman's message to us. The message that Mary gives to us. A message that Jesus wanted us to hear again and again. In verse 9, he says, Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Praise the Lord. The perfume Mary poured on Jesus was very expensive, we are told. This caused some of the people watching to suggest that it should have been sold for a year's wage and the money is given to the poor. Mary had given lavishly, but some people saw it as a waste of money. They harshly rebuked her. However, gifts for greater celebrations or things that pass away quickly should not be despised if they honor God. The issue of giving has paralyzed the church in our communities today. I don't know about giving in this church and churches in the city, but I know something about giving in our Anglican church particularly the church in the Diocese of Lango that I lead. And also across the world, I have many friends we do talk. Issues of giving has paralyzed the church in our communities because some members give to fulfill the requirements of a church program. That's all. That's why they give. There's a program, we will give. But beyond that, no. Only to fulfill that requirement. Not from a generous heart. Other members give wholeheartedly, but their motives are misinterpreted, leaving them brokenhearted at the criticism. At the moment, in Elango, we are building a headquarters from which we will be training and sending out missionaries from northern Uganda up to Egypt by the grace of God. And this year, it will be dedicated by His Grace the Archbishop and inaugurated. And we have invited, I've finished sending out invitation yesterday, assisted by His Grace, we have invited five archbishops to come. These are archbishops whose hearts are after mission, after the gospel, after the good news, it is time, Church of Uganda, we must be training aggressively and sending out. We cannot keep enjoying the gospel all the time. The gospel, Bishop Kivangiri said, is like a hot potato. You cannot hold it. You pass it on. You get salvation. You give it on. You move it on. So, I am because somebody passed the gospel to me. You are here because somebody passed the gospel to you. The good news. The salvation that Jesus is bringing. And so, there in Lango, I have appointed Canon Ken Gabele Odur, who used to be head of Leite for Golobi. And the people have been giving. 
But I have seen these two kinds of giving. There are those who are just giving because it's a church program and they don't want to embarrass their bishop. They really want to. And they just give. Recently, somebody gave. And then he said, I was so embarrassed. Bishop Sheldon met me in Ankole and said, you man, he's a very high profile person. I can't tell you his name. He's a believer. You have a bishop whom you don't deserve. You are not listening to him. You are not looking after him. We really should get him elsewhere. And so the guy was challenged by that. He confessed to me. So he came. Now he's giving to that project. Just giving because it's a church program. Just. <laughs> I hope he forgives me when he hears this action. <laughs> but, friends, there is a lesson here for us. We have to give all heartedly as God gives us. For the cause of the gospel, for the good news, for the salvation of the world. And you give because you have, and God knows you have. You don't have, God also knows you don't have. But you are not giving because of any other motive. But other people get misinterpreted in their giving. If you are one such, because uh, today the provost wants to take me to see your new building, your new cathedral. In other words, the new name is she's taking me to see your giving for the gospel. Because you are giving it there that people may hear the gospel, which is wonderful. And after here, I'm going, I'm going to see. But should it happen, chances are you have given and you've been misunderstood. Take heart. Mary gave to the Lord and the cause of the Lord. And she was misunderstood by people who have other motives that I will speak about it in a moment. A few years ago, I read a story about a group of people called Kepele of Liberia. I was just interested in reading proverbs around Africa, and I have got them. But there was one that caught me, my attention, and it's translated, those who criticize others for their service to God will have God to contend with. I think this proverb is true. Mary had the privilege of being defended by Jesus for her sacrificial service of pouring the costly oil on Jesus. When criticized, she did not say a word. It was Jesus who responded to her, to her critics. And if you are in that category, I am here to encourage you. Keep giving for the Lord. When they criticize you, don't respond. The Lord understands you. He will defend himself. We will face opposition and criticism when we serve God. In this fallen world, there is no doubt about that. Let me encourage particularly my friends, the flock here. There is always increasing criticism and opposition as you lead the work of God and as you serve. But sometimes it may even come from church leaders. In such moments, we should often remain silent like Mary. Let God contend with our critics or those who oppose us. May we not be guilty of criticizing the offering of others. As we approach this Easter, may we not be guilty of criticizing the offering of others. Rather, let us celebrate generous giving. 
Each person should give as God leads them, not out of compulsion, for that is what pleases God. If you want to know what pleases God, give generously, but not out of compulsion. But there is a little challenge here. I think on Sunday, in the second service, I was sitting there, and I could see mothers bringing their little children with offertories. So the mother will put first in the basket, and then the child puts. I can tell you, these children will give because they have been given the foundation of giving when they see their parents giving in the church. Hey, but people like me who joined the church yesterday <laughs> without the foundation of giving to church, if you get money, you just struggle. You just keep it there, somewhere there. You don't understand. I want to encourage you, especially the young ones, the young families, even grandparents, when you come with your children, teach them practically coming to church with a gift to give. What they see, don't underrate the impact of what you see on a daily basis. It is powerful. Now my son recently was wondering why every morning I want to walk with my father. I'm always buying a new belt for him because he loves that. I buy for him different types of pens because he likes to write. And we talk and we chat. And I give him money and so on. But my brothers don't. We sat, we are five brothers. We sat with our spouses. And we said, now, since mom died five years ago, our task and responsibility is daddy. So every one of us is capable of getting at least 50,000 shillings a month. So we must each contribute 50,000 shillings for him. Yes, he likes to drink nothing but Mountain Dew. When the old man is seated, he can be there saying, I'm doing the dew. You know, the mountain is slippery. And just make him happy with it to do the dew. But nobody is doing except me. I've called the meetings and so on. Nothing. But this year, I'm calling again another meeting next month when I go and leave. I don't understand this kind of, this kind of thing. But the point is, my son wonders why I really love daddy. And I told him, I am teaching him, he must see how he will look after me. Because there is no way he's going to look after me if he has not been seeing all these years on a daily basis. And then my wife keeps saying to my children, because my wife has had a challenge with her knees. They have done knee replacement. It's a miracle of God. She's okay, no more pains, and so on. But still, she struggles to kneel when she's inviting me to go and have dinner. She's funny. She even calls me bishop. I said, no, 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 no. You know, sweetheart, you know, I'm you. She says, you are my bishop. You are the bishop of Lango. I look after you. There is that area. Anyway, bishop, people kneel. I said, you stop. She says, no. I will kneel because I want to show to my daughters that this is the way to show respect in this culture. Unless they see, there is going to be no way. But it's another question whether they are kneeling or not. We will see. But the teaching is going on. So this evening, I am just appealing to us on the question of giving. Let's be practical. Let's show it to the children. 
Let's show it to our parents. Let's show it to our families. We start at an early age. We have the opportunity. The second lesson, blindness of greed is dangerous. In Mark chapter 14, verse 10 to 11, Jesus Christ came into the world to die for sinners so that they may be saved. However, even though Judas had been with Jesus for about three years, he was deceived by Satan. Judas was a thief and corrupted by greed, which was part of leading him to deliver Jesus into his enemies. It's really unfortunate, even though this is the plan of God, for Judas to eat with Jesus, to dine with him, to walk with him, to be with him. Oh, I was telling my, my chaplain, ah, this is the right point to say. He's here. You stand, this young man. You clap for him. He really helps me. He, I was telling him, you know now, you have an office to help me, to make me as comfortable as I can in my work, in my ministry, in everything. Then he has gone too far. He gets my socks to me. He even cleans my shoes for me. He has two degrees. Two degrees. It's about ministry. You know? And he thinks ahead for me. But then he even gives to me my hanky. He touches it and gives it to me. Plus more, you can imagine. And so I was telling him, you are not that close to me. Then you steal my money. <laughs> then you betray me. Oh, very unfortunate. In fact, if I die, my wife will really be able to cry and mourn and children. But him, who has spent more time with me, it won't leave his head easily. But think about Judas with Jesus. For as long as the devil is in his heart, evil is in his heart, Yes, he will dare to do what he has done. Greed is a powerful evil that can completely blind a person to the truth. Greed is an unnatural and obsessive desire for anything, not just money. For Judas, greed caused him to overlook the truth even after Jesus had warned him. Judas had seen all the powerful works of Jesus, proving that Jesus was the son of God, and yet he was still blinded by greed. Friends, we cannot bring change in this corrupt world if we entertain greed in our hearts. Sometimes it defeats my thinking. I think I was going, to, I was going overseas and I bought a new vision, and I was reading a certain permanent secretary, which I'm not going to name. He was accused of swindling 1.2 billion. Money which even if you are eating every day, like an insect on a leaf every day, I think even for 80 years, you cannot finish. Greed, it can blind. Watch out. My friend, it is dangerous. It is deadly. But it starts small. 
doesn't start big. It starts small. The word of God comes and is giving us a testimony of somebody that greed had consumed and therefore that person can betray, can even kill. Greed can lead you to those things. It's dangerous. We must not harden our hearts like Judas, but rather we must repent before greed leads us down a dark path. If we do not repent, we will be blinded and remain insensitive to God's truth, serving Satan's purposes. But as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5, and that is where I want to end my reflection this evening. Paul writes these words, For a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of the world. May God help us to be worshipping God more than worshipping the things of the world. You see, the things of the world, they declare war on our hearts. And they fight us. But it is Jesus Christ on Calvary, his death will be the one to save us. Don't lose this focus. He is being betrayed. Yes, it is according to plan of God, but he will die and the death is not going to be cheap to bring us salvation. Years ago, I used to come to Insambia Parish when I was still a student of theology. So every Sunday we'd come for our internship. And there used to be a lady there who loved priests and ministers of the gospel. And for me, I had just come from the village. You people live in the city, you don't have villages. But I'm telling you, real village, I have it there. Where we don't sit on plastic chairs, we don't sit on cushions, we sit on chairs, but they are made out of logs. And you don't sit for long because it soon becomes uncomfortable. That's where I was coming from. Very humble beginning. And this lady, after I preached, she offered to take me for lunch. Eh? You want to know? I'm a brother in the Lord. On fire for Jesus. Then she drove me in her car and took me to her house. What did I see? A black gate. When it was opened, the whole compound is well sealed. Flowers everywhere. Beautiful home. And God gives us these people and these things to share. Then she invited me into the house. I came in and she made me to sit on the sitting, the chairs in the sitting room. Remember, they are not that type of hours from the village. This is really comfortable one, class. Then next, there, there was a fridge. These things I'm talking, they are nothing to you, but listen to my story. I'm making a point. Then there was on the other corner a pendulum clock, just swinging. Quack, quack, quack. Everything glittering to make matters better. There was a, a music system and there was a soft music that she played. You want to know the soft music? Ah, I was listening and I was just shaking my head. It was wonderful. And then she went behind 
Then her daughters began to come to greet me one at a time. And remember, I was still a single man. Yeah. And so this lady comes. She's coming to meet a minister of the gospel that mommy has brought home. And she greeted me softly and nicely. And then, very soon, she served me with a very cold Pepsi Cola. It was wonderful. But as I sat there, this is now my point. I found that my own desires began to fight in my heart. And I was saying, maybe if I have a home like this in future. That's how it started. If I have a public, you know, I have a musical system. But if only this girl can get to accept that I marry her. Many things now are going on. Then I got up and I realized that is not right. So I went to the toilets. And in the toilets, I really repented to God. Because the desire of things were really fighting on my heart. Fighting on my heart. I repented. And the Lord gave me the strength to defeat that. Then I came out and I told the lady and she called her children and the entire family and I gave the testimony. Up to today, we are family friends in the Lord. I don't know for you what is it on your heart? Is it greed like Judas? Or yours is greed plus even more that fights in your heart as you go to office, as you work in families, even in church here? I don't know. But the Lord knows. But whatever it is, this Wednesday, I ask you to bring it to the Lord who will be crucified on Friday and he will defeat sin. And he will say, it is finished. It is finished. And you are forgiven. So those sins, bring them to the Lord. Including greed. Let the Lord deal with it. The love of money. Money is good. It is from God. But must be within what God wants us to use it. So may the Lord bless you as we walk towards Calvary with the Lord. But as you deal with those little, little desires and little issues, including the big one, greed. One that is really ruining our country. There is so much greed in this country. There is so much greed in our communities. May the Lord help us, a Christian nation, a Christian country, with all our churches, to really deal with greed. And we can only deal with greed at the cross of Jesus. May the Lord bless you.